Good morning, friends. My name is Jesse. I'm one of the pastors. I love our church. I've been here for 10 years as a pastor, and I loved just who, you know, who God has brought. Well, thank you. I did not expect that. But that's cool. Uh, and I hope that this becomes a place that you also love and uh, can be part of the spiritual family and experience Jesus here. Uh, have you heard of these things? They're called enchroma glasses. Enchroma glasses. I had not heard of them until like a few days, uh, Wednesday actually. They're for people that have color blindness. And there's YouTube videos uh, of people that are colorblind that put on these glasses for the first time ever. And there are people young and old. I mean, some of these older people, they look, they're like, they look like Vietnam vets, like that kind of a person, or like just got off a Harley Davidson motorcycle, like those kinds of people, whatever, and all the way, you know, male and female. And then they put these glasses on for the first time, and the reaction is breathtaking. They, for a moment, are speechless. And then all of a sudden, this huge wave of emotion just overwhelms them. And the, like grown old dudes just start bawling, just start crying. It is this life-changing moment uh, when they, for their whole lives, saw in black and white uh, and then can see in color. And uh, it, that experience is amazing. And, and God has been showing me some new things in the last couple months, some new experiences, learning new things that I would like to share with you uh, today. We uh, had a three-week series about family called the Storm Toss Family. Today we're going back to our study in the Gospel of Mark. This whole year we've been going through the Gospel of Mark. And we're picking it up today in chapter 8. And I want to do two things with this passage today. The first thing is to look at the moment itself between Jesus and this blind man and take some things out of it. But then the second thing we're going to do is to look at the meaning of the moment in the larger, the larger thing that Jesus is doing. And it's going to go in two very different directions. Cool? Just to let you know. So the first one is the moment between Jesus and this blind man. Put yourself in the shoes of someone that's blind for a moment. Imagine coming to church as someone who is blind. What would that experience be like? I mean, it's a fairly crowded experience. How would it be kind of finding your seat? Maybe you did not grow up in church. You don't know all the songs. And you're like, I don't know the songs. I can't read the, the, the lyrics on the screen. Trying to go to the bathroom. I mean, all of, what would it be like? What could make church experience better for you if you're someone who was blind? This man had, I'm going to call them friends. Now, it doesn't call them friends in the passage, but it says people brought this blind man to Jesus. But if someone brought me to Jesus and I was blind so that I can be healed, they'd be my friends. And so this man had friends who are bringing him to Jesus. Maybe the friends and this blind man had heard story after story of Jesus uh, healing people. Healing all kinds of people, seeing them and, and stopping his, like stopping and paying attention and being near and caring for all of these different people with disabilities. Maybe they had heard this story from Luke chapter 14, the parable of the great banquet, an amazing story where the, uh, the banquet hall needs to be full. And so the host tells the servants to go out into the streets and the alleyways and, and get the blind and the crippled and the lame and the blind and bring them into this banquet, a picture of the kingdom of God, the, the community of people. And they're like, man, if, that is, if that's who God is and that's what God, like, I'm, I should be there, I want to be a part. I'm in. 
if that's who's there. Notice how Jesus treats this blind man. He doesn't just, you know, smile and wave. He doesn't just, you know, drop him a buck and say, hey, I hope this helps. Uh, he, he, he doesn't just pass by on the other side of the road because he's got more important things to do. The details in the text are pretty remarkable. It, it says that he takes the man by the hand and leads and guides him to a private place. And then we're going to say it. He spits into his eyes and then touches him so that he can experience healing. Now, I looked at a bunch of different commentaries, and I don't think anyone really knows why he spit in his eyes. Now, I know we all want to be like Jesus and like live like Jesus and all that. Yes, but don't spit in anyone's eyes. I recommend that's not a good strategy. We'll let Jesus be Jesus in that moment. Um, but throughout Jesus' life, I love it. I love it, I love it, and I'm becoming more and more aware of it, how Jesus is like the details in the gospel of how Jesus interacts and pays attention to and sees people with disability is remarkable. It's all over the gospels. Some were healed, some were not, but everyone mattered to Jesus. A couple months ago, I read a book called Disability in the Church by a guy named Lamar Hardwick. He calls himself the, um, the autism pastor. He's a pastor of a church, I think in Texas. Um, and he wrote a book called Disability in the Church. And in it, he's trying to help churches think about um, a theology of people with disability and how to um, understand, let me get the three words, aware, be aware, accept, and advocate for people with disability in the church. And it's just really opening my eyes to things I had never thought about before. Um, according to the CDC, 26% of the U.S. adults have some sort of disability. 26%. That is a large portion of our population. According to Lamar and some other pastors and theologians that are thinking about this, they're saying that the church is not doing a great job of, of reaching out and embracing people with disability. And, and they say that the world is, in the 90s, uh, the ADA, uh, um, abil ability dis America Disabilities Act was passed in 1990, and it forced, you know, businesses to um, be set up for people with disabilities, and the church didn't have to. And so it's, in a lot of ways, the church has been bypassed by the rest of the world and how to create a, a space for people with disability. And in light of Jesus, right, the leader of our church, something just seems really broken and wrong about that. Does the church view people with disabilities as a nuisance, a barrier, or a blessing? Imagine how our church can be designed better for people with disabilities. Now, the stuff that Lamar and these people are talking about is not just Grace Church. <laughs> it's the church as a whole, so I'm not trying to shame anybody. Uh, about five years ago, we did the Make It Drain campaign. Some of you may be in and around for that. And what the women's bathroom is amazing, isn't it? We remodeled the bathroom and got the plumbing working. But we also put in a, a bathroom, an ADA bathroom. And I've talked to a few people in wheelchairs who are like, thank you so much for putting that in. That is awesome. And that's great. But currently, if someone in a wheelchair wanted to lead worship or preach or give announcements, or if uh, someone in a wheelchair wanted to go downstairs into the kids program, we don't have access to those places. Someone with, uh, um, like, sensitory 
um, challenges? How can we set, help them be more, uh, just uh, more comfortable in this, in this environment that can be very loud and overwhelming, right? On his website, autismpastor.com, there's resources and podcasts and books that is this amazing theology of disability that I've just been mind blown about. And then these practical applications of, of how to do it. They recommend building ramps. Is one of the things they say, ramps. Couple kind of ramps, physical ramps and social ramps. So like physical ramps are the obvious ones, uh, but also they're like, what if you had uh, sensitory bags and you gave them out to people that would like them and in the bags had like uh, earplugs or maybe some fidget type of devices or, and maybe like the order of service so people could know exactly like, okay, song, song, long talk, and, the, and so that would be, they're saying, very helpful for people with autism and some of these things. And so what, they just give all these great ideas. Socially, what would it look like to build on-ramps for young people, for older people, to be a part of our community and help our community be a place that knows how to be family with each other and in leadership positions? They talk about the five stages Five-stage attitude towards people with disabilities. And I thought this was very helpful. The first stage is ignorance. That's where I've been my whole life. Just, I don't have a disability. I have not really thought about it. And so just kind of ignorant. The second stage is pity, where you're beginning to, your heart is beginning to get moved, uh, which is better than ignorance, but um, there's more. Uh, The next phase is Hold on. Care, where you're beginning to care and, and you're taking actions uh, to care for people uh, with disability. And I think this applies to like almost anybody who's different than us. Um, the next stage is friendship. We're actually building a friendship and getting to know their story and beginning to understand what life is like for someone different than you. That's the next stage. And then the final stage is co labor where you begin to work together to, to advocate and bring awareness and make a better experience for, for all people. And so this will land our first part of this message. If this resonates with you and you're like, yeah, how can we make this place better for people with disability? Email me. I would love to talk to you and think through ways that we can actually put some of this stuff into action and bring awareness and think better about some of these things. Email me. Cool? That's not everybody, but some people. All right. So we're going to switch gears. The first is the moment between Jesus and this blind man. The second is the larger meaning that is happening. Now, uh, before I worked at Grace Church, a long time ago, I was on staff with InterVarsity Christian Fellowship, which is a ministry for college students on the campus. Did that for seven years, plus two years as a student. So for nine spring breaks... I would go with all of these college students to Catalina Island and study the Gospel of Mark, inductive Bible study with a manuscript. Eight hours a day, five days a week for spring break. Is that how you spent your spring break? Probably not. <laughs> Just kidding. Uh, that's how I spent mine for nine years. Seven of them I graduated. But anyways, um, and part of what we would when before we started, we would have the students play the dollar bill game. And we would have, we'd give them a piece of paper, blank piece of paper, and have them draw a dollar bill, the front and back, from memory. How would you do? Think about a dollar bill. And then they would draw it from the best of their memory, and then we would pull out a dollar bill and pass it around and let them look at the difference. Is there a picture on the screen? 
shocked at how something that you interact with on a daily basis and see and like know what it is, the details that we miss, that we don't see and, 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 and we would, we would uh, correlate that to many students and people who have read the Bible. Good job, Luke. You can hit the next slide. It's my 11-year-old son up there. Good job, Luke. Uh, we would parallel that to many of us have grown up knowing the Bible, probably read Mark, think we understand it, think we know it, but there are themes and meaning baked into Mark that many of us do not see and maybe will never see. And there is something going on with this blind man that really has nothing to do with the blind man. And I want to help you see the themes and the threads that Mark is trying to bring together in this moment. So it starts out by them landing in Bethsaida. Now Bethsaida is a very significant, important place for the disciples. And I hope it becomes a place that you also love by the end of this message. Uh, and um, to understand why this is such an important place, we have to go back to Mark chapter 6. We were there like in June, months ago. And so we're going to kind of go through a journey of, of where the disciples have been in this process. And so put the map up on the screen, Luke. Good job, bud. Uh, Mark chapter 6, we are in, Beth, uh, we are in uh, Capernaum around the Capernaum area, and Jesus feeds 5,000 men and then plus women and children. And he does it with um, five loaves, five loaves of bread that's feeding. And, and right after that, this happens. Let me read for you Mark 6. So right after the feeding of 5,000, this happens. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea. He meant to pass by them, but when they saw him walking on the water, they thought it was a ghost, and they cried out. For they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased. And they were utterly astounded, for they did not understand about the loaves. But their hearts were hardened. When they had crossed over, they came to the land at Gennesaret and moored to the shore. Now, it says that Jesus was walking on the water. I don't know. I kind of picture Jesus kind of walking on the water as they're like rowing in the boat. And he's like smiling and waving. Hey, guys, keep going. Good job. You know, keep fighting that wind. You're doing great. Uh, meanwhile, what do they see? They see a ghost. What? did they not understand about the loaves just right before that? How do disciples who are with Jesus, how do their hearts become hardened? There's something else that's kind of wrong about this story. Does anybody see it? It's Jesus clearly said, hey, we're going to get into the boat and go across to the other side, to Bethsaida, right? Well, that's not where they end up. Actually, what happens is that uh, the storm, thank you, Luke, good job, on point, that they leave and then the storm blows them to Gennesaret. They never get to Bethsaida, do they? 
So they get to Gennesaret, and it says that they heal a bunch of sick people, and, per- and there's a detail in there that Mark gives. It says that the people were trying to touch the, the fringe of Jesus' clothes. Now, if you remember back before June, there's the bleeding woman who did the same thing. And it's happening again. And from there, uh, let's see here. What happens from there? They go to, next slide, they head up to Tyre and Sidon. And Gentile territory where the Seraphonician woman's daughter has a demon. Um, and we learned, if you remember, that Jesus was not a racist. Remember that? That was good. That was a good takeaway. And then they, they, get ba- they then come down, cross to the, through the Sea of Galilee, and go to another familiar place in the Decapolis. Now, we've been to the Decapolis before. But in this place, a couple interesting things happen. Number one, there's a man who is deaf, who is deaf. Jesus takes the man by the hand, read it for yourself, the details are in there, to a private place. Guess what he does? Yeah, he spits on him. Does it again, did it before, and and heals the man from his deafness and from his inability to speak. Not only that in the Decapolis, but... uh, Jesus feeds 4,000 people with seven loaves of bread. It happens again. The same experience that had just happened earlier. Uh, and then they get back into a boat, go to Dalmanutha. Booyah, good job, Luke. And there the Pharisees want to see a miracle. Jesus gets sad. They get back into a boat, and they're crossing over again. And the stinking disciples forget to bring bread. And this is where we left off about four weeks ago. I preached last four weeks ago. This is kind of the last passage where Jesus gives the disciples a very stern warning. Like, it's crazy, the warning. It's like a warning that we've never seen Jesus give. He says, beware disciples of the leaven of the Pharisees and Herod. Do you remember that? That teaching? And then, and then after that, this, this happens, Mark eight sixteen, And the disciples began discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread. Why? They just do. And Jesus, aware of this, said to them, he asked eight questions. Why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes, do you not yet see? And having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember, disciples, do you not remember? When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many basketfuls of pieces did you take up? And they said, twelve. Good job. And then seven for the 4,000. How many basketful of broken pieces did you take up? And they said, seven. Good job. And he said to them, do you still not understand? And if you remember four weeks ago, we didn't answer that question. We sat in the, just the, the unknown. Do the disciples understand what is happening here? And the cool thing is that the blind man is meant to answer that question. Next slide. They get into the boat, have the leaven conversation with the eight questions, and they arrive at Bethsaida. Now let's understand why this is a significant place. Observe what happens with this blind man. He's fully blind, and then Jesus loses some of his power, and he doesn't fully heal this man. He needs more faith, apparently. So there's partial healing where he sees a man walking like trees. I'm kidding. Jesus is not losing his power here. 
Abby, I know, it's funny. I was just messing with you. And then he touches him a second time. I'm just kidding. Can we joke with each other? It's intentional. And then he touches him a second time and he's fully healed and restored. We need to just be able to be playful with each other. So what does it mean? Now let me read for you a couple commentaries helping to unpack this. Number one, the Bible knowledge commentary says, this is the only recorded two-stage miracle Jesus performed. The only one. Sight was a widely used metaphor for understanding. The miracle depicts the correct but incomplete understanding of the disciples. Uh, the commentary, uh, I'm sorry, the New Bible Commentary says, this is a picture of the spiritually blind disciples soon to receive their sight. And the commentary on the Greek text says, slowly and painfully they are learning to recognize Jesus. So what does the blind man represent? He is an illustration. He is a parable of what's happening internally in the faith of the disciples. Do you see that? They start following Jesus, and they're around Jesus, and they're seeing him do all of these things, but they're only seeing him partially. He looks like a man that's like tree, like a walking tree. They don't see him clearly until this, until the, uh, another touch of healing. Uh, so Jesus asks these eight questions to help the disciples see what's going on underneath the surface. Under the iceberg of these disciples, they're with Jesus, but they're not understanding and perceiving. And so these eight questions are, are really tied into Mark chapter 4. Stay with me. You with me? Are you with me? Good. Mark, there's, there's layers and there's themes. And I hope that we can see this. In Mark chapter 4, uh, Jesus has a parable teaching about four different soils. And the four soils represent the condition of our hearts in response to Jesus and the word. The four soils are hard, thorny, rocky, and soft. And as Jesus is explaining to his disciples this parable, he says this. He says, in Mark chapter 4, to you, disciples, has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. And the secret is Jesus. <laughs> Ta-da! Uh, that's the secret, uh, according to my interpretation. For those outside, everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see, but not perceive. They may indeed hear, but not understand, lest they turn and be forgiven. Again, the disciples are with Jesus. They are near to him, hearing it all, seeing it all, and yet, and yet, they are not understanding who he is. What of the deaf man? What do the blind man represent? What kind of a parable and illustration are they? They are showing us that the disciples are blind and deaf to Jesus. In the storm, Jesus meant to pass them by which is a clear Old Testament reference to Elijah and Moses. God passed both of them by, and the purpose of it was to reveal his glory. Was to reveal his glory. Jesus meant to pass by the disciples to reveal his glory, but instead of seeing him for who he is, what do they see? They see a ghost. And instead of getting to the next phase of the chapter of the movement of Jesus and the disciples, they, are get, they get blown back to do what? 
to do it all over again. They take this whole long hiatus journey. The storm of their moment, of their life, caused fear to penetrate their heart. And instead of seeing Jesus clearly, they see a ghost. And so they need to learn some lessons all over again. Um, and it is, it's funny, I think, maybe, I think it's funny, that Jesus doesn't ever tell them who he is. The demons know. I think the Seraphonician woman knew. But other than that, no, Jesus doesn't reveal his identity, especially in the Gospel of Mark, to anybody. He wants his disciples, and I would say for us, to recognize Jesus in the journey of our lives so far. He wants us to see him in, in our lives so far. He will allow us to go, to take as long as necessary, to journey, in, 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 to do it all over again, to learn that lesson over again. I didn't quite get it. So we're going to do it. Jesus is like, okay, well, let's do it again. Let's do it again. And Jesus is so patient with us. Jesus is so willing to go on whatever journey necessary for us to, to finally see that he is with us in our lives and he, is, and he wants us to understand something about him in our lives. The second feeding, the, the, two, lo, the two moments with the lows, the second healing, the second time to, uh, to the Decapolis, all of this, one of the ways that I'm interpreting it is that Jesus is a God Jesus is a God of second chances. Jesus is a God of second chances. He will allow us to kind of go through life, and he will give us chance after chance after chance. Let me share with you one of my second chances. So April 4th of 2000 was a Bethsaida moment for Jesse Jacobs. Uh, I grew up in church, went to Awana, baptized as a middle school student, knew it all, right? But in high school... I didn't see Jesus clearly. I began to wander in circles, just kind of spinning in cycles out of control, you know. And uh, it, it, ha it, took the it took the form of heavy, heavy drugs. For four years, I was completely committed. My life was all oriented around how can I do a drug at a rave and just have as much, like, ecstasy as possible. That was the drug that I actually wanted. <laughs> um, and... Uh, it culminated April 4th of 2000. I was 20 years old. Uh, one night, 4 a.m., I got pulled over, and the cop, she clearly knew that I was out of my mind. I was spun on, on meth. I ended up getting arrested and getting a DUI and a couple different charges for meth. And um, went to jail and then saw the, the judge like a month, uh, saw the judge a month later, got 90 days got a lawyer, got that down to 10 days, and had to just go through that entire experience. But in that jail cell, that first night, April 4th of 2000, God just began to open up my heart. I began to see myself and the situation I was in and the cycles and the spinning out of control. And God just began to see, show me these lessons in such a clear way. And I went to a church in Newport Beach called the Vineyard, and went to their college group service. He had college group ministry. And, and never forget, Pete Shambrick was the pastor, and I went forward and said, Jesus, you're my Lord, my Savior. My life is about you. You're going to lead my life moving forward. And I still struggle, and all, we all struggle in different ways. That was about 22 years ago, about half of my life. 
that happened, and God gave me a second chance to do it over. And it's been 22 years, drug-free, praise God, uh, which is awesome, huh? Uh, so um, maybe in your life, you, have, you can resonate with me of, of needing a second chance, of feeling like you're just kind of going through the motions. Maybe you've been, you know about Jesus. Maybe you're even close to Jesus, but he hasn't penetrated your heart. That he hasn't really taken the leadership in your life in the ways that maybe he's helping you see right now. He wants you, he wants to take those reins in your life because um, he has been with you in the journey and he will not leave you. And he will continue to let you lead yourself <laughs> into any place, uh, you know, and go in those circles. It's the story of Israel. If you know the story of Israel, they, they got to the promised land and then had fear. And for 40 years, they didn't have to, but they wandered in the wilderness when they could have gone to the promised land. And, and God and Jesus in his grace will never leave you and will wander with you around and around. But you get to a point in your life where you see Jesus clearly and you just say, all right, you are it. You are it. I'm no longer seeing a ghost. I'm no longer just playing games. My life is all about you. And you, have you had that Bethsaida moment where you see Jesus clearly and allow him to move you beyond Bethsaida to the next thing? The disciples are ready to move on to the next, to the next place. It takes making Jesus your Lord and the leader of your life. You see, um, who leads who? will determine where you end up going. Does that make sense? <laughs> who, are, who is leading your life? If you are going to lead your life, then it's going to look like kind of that journey. But if you get to the point, and when you get to the point, and maybe you have of saying, Jesus, you now are the leader of my life. You alone are Lord and God, and no, you know you don't. I don't, you do. The disciples could have gotten to Bethsaida a lot earlier. It was like hundreds of miles of wandering, <laughs> doing it all over again. They didn't have to. The problem was in the storm of that moment of their life, they saw a ghost. And their fear of, the, of Jesus in the future held them back. Jesus got small. They didn't see him. What did Jesus hope for? He hoped that they would have this reverent fear. There's a big difference between terrified fear and reverent fear. When all of a sudden you see God and you're overwhelmed that he is revealing his glory to you, it just changes everything for your life. As God gets bigger and bigger in your life, you are ready to move to the next place, to Bethsaida. You can finally get there and let him lead the rest of your journey forward. But until Jesus gets that big, where you're no longer afraid of what's ahead because you have a reverent fear of him and him alone, and you trust that he knows the best way forward, you're ready to move beyond Bethsaida. And so what fears are or have held you back from saying, Jesus, what the, in this area of my life, I have been afraid to let you take control and to lead it. 
What, is it, what area in your life is there? And you can say, Jesus, get bigger. I want to see you clearly. I want to allow you to take the leadership and to move me beyond just the cycle and move beyond it to the next thing that you have for me in my life. I believe there's eight more chapters in the Gospel of Mark that we still need to understand. And so I have some reflection questions that I will put up on the board screen that you can think about and reflect on as we enter into worship. This is for you and Jesus to just talk. Ready to talk to Jesus? Here's some questions. How has your journey so far shaped how you understand Jesus? How has Jesus wanted to reveal himself to you so far? Do you need a second chance from God? Some of you are like, yeah, I need that. There's a very clear place right now in my life where I need that second chance. Are you ready for Jesus to lead you on the journey ahead? Are you ready for him to do that? If he was to tell you the journey ahead, thanks for coming up here, worship team. If he was to take, if he was to lead you on the journey ahead, do you think it will be worth it? Do you think it will be worth it to surrender to the, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, to Jesus and say, I'm ready for you to lead my life wherever you want to take me. It is going to be worth it in the end. Let's bow our heads. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are just like the disciples. We are just like the Israelites. God, their story is our story. God, who you were for them is who you are for us. You love us more than we can ever understand. Every single person here. The demonstration of the pinnacle of your love for us is the, the extent that you would go is, is laying down your life on the cross so that we can be forgiven. Set free, God. You are a, a breaker of shame. You don't lump shame onto us. You are a shame breaker. You set us free. And God, we, some of us have walked with you and know a lot about you, but haven't let you come in in the places where we need to let you in. And God, thank you that you forgive us and you don't hold that over us. You're ready. You're ready to, to bring us beyond Bethsaida to the next thing in our lives, God. And help us to not be afraid. Help us to see you and let you become bigger and all of those things get smaller so that we can just follow you, Jesus, to the, the, the new things that you want for your glory, for our benefit, God. Thank you, God, that you're with us. God, I pray for people, uh, I pray that we would be a church that is better for people with disabilities in North Park, in the surrounding community, God. I pray that also, um, as you were, Jesus, so kind and, and empowering, help us to, to do that as well. So we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.